What up, what up? Here we are with another episode of the Who's Where podcast. I'm your host, Chase Minifield, coming to you live from Washington, D.C. We have Max on the line. What's good, Max? What's up, Seville? Coming to you live from Charlottesville. Excuse the setup. I'm in a, in a you know, not in a permanent place right now, but we're we going to get it right. Yeah, got some things going on, man. We got a special guest today, man. We got a, a UVA prop tech entrepreneur. Guru, you name it, man. The guy is uh, everywhere and anywhere right now in the real estate prop take space, man. Xander Geronimo's. What's up, Xander? What's up, Chase, Max? Thanks so much for having me today. You know, live also from a location, possibly the beautiful, perfect sunset of West Palm Beach. Uh, though it doesn't always look like this, but sometimes it does. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here, and thanks so much for uh, for having me on the show. Of course, man. We're excited to have you, man. You've... Uh... You've been a name of top the top the, the the man of the top of the hour, man, here for the last few years. Tell everybody what you're up to these days, man. These way to put it, it's, a, it's complicated. So um, I'm generally active in a few different spaces, uh, but more or less, I work within um, one part of our industry, being on the real estate side. So I work within the real estate tech world, dubbed as prop tech. And for the past few years, I had switched over from the traditional side of real estate uh, investment and I was on the research side and switched over to you know join a startup with a vision that eventually we would have real-time information for investments that's the thesis to which my career has been predicated on um and I've recently so the past three years have been working at on the, the venture capital side so I went from traditional to then startup and as that startup grew I then switched over to what is stuff is like the dark side for the uh, the real estate and the venture capitalists but uh, really focus on strategic partnerships. So being that unifying force, or at least that nexus uh, point between the real estate industry, so construction, subcontractors, contractors, architects, designers, investors, and operators, and everything that's happening on the technology and innovations front. That's really where I've uh, focused myself. And my firm, Metaprop, is really one of the the, the most active early stage investors and one of the largest early stage portfolios globally. Um, so that's a big focus of my work. Outside of that, I'll also do a lot of advisory work for startups that are in and around either the real estate industry and also some founders uh, that are just generally interesting. Um, so sitting on a few boards, one board is on a media company that focuses on being the first real estate news network. So a uh, live video content <laughs> driven around real estate that's called Fresh Bread. Also on the board of another UVA alumni um, uh, called uh, so Bobby Hill and his company is called Motive Digital, which focuses on enabling entrepreneurs and founders on their sales and customer retention strategies. So through sales architecture, um, then also sit um, on uh, another board uh, that is focused on tenant experience and retention, and that's called Sugar. It's actually out of our portfolio and accelerator program at Metaprop, and Sugar is all about generating community engagement and multifamily properties predicated on the concept of borrowing sugar from your neighbor. Uh, fascinating founder from Columbia University, Fatima Dego, and she has built this wonderful platform based in LA, but really helps out with multifamily projects. And I've got a few more announcements on the way of other boards I'm joining, um, but from the UVA side, I'm the founder of the UVA Alumni in Real Estate, and I've guest lectured at the university for the past five years around real estate, tech, and data with my mentor, Bob White, also a UVA alum, and have helped, uh, or my own small part of helped launch our institute for uh, the built world, uh, which is a pan-university program for real estate uh, technology and uh, design across multiple colleges. So 
excited to uh, to chat further in any one of those topics, as as I mentioned. Generally, how many, how many boards are you on, first of all? I was going to say, you, you might be the only person that's come on this podcast that got more hats than me and Chase combined. We, we do a lot. <laughs> Listen, so, so technically, and uh, some are not announced yet, but technically I'm on five boards, one of which is, uh, you know, regarding the university, which that will be announced, but we'll keep yeah. that, we'll see what, what what that board actually is. Um, and then the others are with uh, startups. And yeah, so just come on to provide uh, my experience on the business development side, the channel partnerships, fundraising perspective, and just helping that founder get from, I come in like the, you know, you know the topic of like zero to one. So many books were around that. There's people yeah. like one to two. I'm at right about like 0.5. I'm like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.75. <laughs> where my specialty is, it's like the ship has sailed, but we got to figure out where exactly we're going. Yeah, who should be on this, and should it be a motorboat? Should it be a sailboat? Like that's where I come in to help just guide that. And I really do enjoy working in the trenches with founders to come up with whatever they're working on and where they might have blockers. That's my specialty is just removing those blockers. You got some dope, cool boards. I feel like they're all around the same, like real estate technology. You know, I just got invited to the uh, Lexington Public Library board. You know, what I'm saying so Chase. I'm excited to be on the Lexington Public Library board, and uh, I got a, a school that I'm on the board of. So, you know, I mean, I'd love to be in the churches, but with you and then doing some of those those cool technology things and, and learning all those. That's interesting about Sugar. I was just talking about with some of my partners at Easy Turn about the um, the lack of tenant engagement for on-campus housing for tenants or for the students that live on campus. Now, off-campus, they get a lot of uh, engagement and stuff like that. But the actual people that are like freshmen living in the dorms, like us living in Douglasson and, and all those different types of things, there's literally nothing for tenant engagement. The only thing you can really do is go on there and like submit a service request if you want to submit a service request, which is a mass difference compared to what you're getting in multifamily and what you're getting in... Uh, in these different spaces, uh, these large commercial real estate uh, places. So that was very interesting that you brought that up because that's something I was recently just talking about. But yeah, no, that's that's awesome, Xander, man. seems like you got your half full, hands full, man. Let's start from the very beginning. Like, where are you from? You know what I'm saying? Like, where are you from? <laughs> well, many places, the very beginning. I can trace my roots um, back to St. Jerome. Uh, well, it's a fairly family story and narrative is around that. But um, yeah, my, my family's from Greece, hence the Geronimos name. Okay. But I was born in uh, in New York, Upper East Side. And then my family moved out from there to Connecticut. So I grew up in Southern Connecticut, um, went to school there, played uh, lacrosse there. And up until senior year, then did, you know, knee reconstruction. So that by the time I got to, you know, hang at UVA, I was just hanging with people I used to play with, but I didn't have to go to practice. So it was like kind of okay, festival yeah. world. I didn't have to go go commit all the time, but just got to you know go to all the parties. But um, yeah, so from uh, yeah from Southern Connecticut, then had the vision of uh, you know fell in love with Charlottesville, and that's why I get to go back so often. It's just you know it's a magical place. You know God's country being Charlottesville and and Virginia. Um, it's kind of hard to beat. I travel a lot, and once you're in Virginia, you see the rolling hills, and you you just see those sunsets and everyone is wildly friendly and it's just such a happy place. I can't yeah. think of another place besides Charlottesville that like you feel just always just happy and excited to be there. And the camp and the grounds themselves are uh, those hallowed halls are just beautiful examples of architecture. So I always enjoy just walking around whenever I'm back in town. That makes sense. Um, did you consider any other schools? So actually I was a, I was a transfer student. So I, when I was, okay. when I was a little rebel, out of high school, it's 
I was like, I'm going to go far. I'm leaving Connecticut. I'm going far and going west. And yeah. then me and my, uh, one of my best friends got into SMU. Okay. And we got, so we went to Texas. And which is interesting enough, the camp, uh, SMU's campus is designed uh, based off of UVA's campus. So oh, I was in just because Texas, a little bit bigger. And yeah. it seemed like almost like the law, but they called the boulevard, which made transferring to UVA super easy because it's the same design. The buildings are all the same place. I knew where everything already was. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, so I went to Texas first and you know, my heart was still in Charlottesville. So applied back and went um, in and then went to uh, to the comm school, which is something that based off the program that I wanted to be in and kind of the, you know, the, the intensity and uh, the network that I want to be a part of, for me, felt like it was on the East Coast. Somewhere to get me back up to either D.C. or into New York. Um, yeah. Versus being westward driven. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense from that standpoint. But how is Dallas? You know, Dallas versus Charlottesville is a uh, is a massive difference. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would I just imagine myself as a freshman, you know, football player in like a metropolitan city versus you know Charlottesville is like a obviously a a town where or where you, where everybody knows everybody it seems like for the most part, especially on campus. But as far as like being in a metropolitan city away from like your family and things of that nature. How was that experience? Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely unique. And you, being a, a you know a, a northerner, right? And in Texas, like you come with. I didn't know jeans until I got to college. I had to buy jeans. Like you know, we were. <laughs> like okay, we're gonna commit. We're gonna wear jeans because we're in Texas now. Like yeah, but <laughs> not wearing those anymore. It's peculiar. And also, like so, Dallas has gone through. I think a, from a real estate side, an evolution of the walkability of the city. So a lot of it was, uh, you know, definitely felt like there was a silo between like uptown and sort of where the campus of SMU was. And then where downtown was for like, as a you know, undergrad, you're going to go to potentially like bars and clubs downtown, which wasn't very, I think, walkable, but they had built out a lot of promenades now so that Dallas is much more of an open air metro city versus just a driving city, which is what it historically was, kind of the similar way that Houston was. Um, granted, sometimes in the summer heat, um, it's a little tough to walk in Houston. That's why they have the underground um, tunnels between malls and uh, and office buildings, kind of the opposite or inverse of Minneapolis, which has the skywalk so you can get between buildings and not freeze. Um, yeah. well, unless you're me and get, got lost outside in the freezing snow of Minneapolis. Uh, a couple of times. Um, Dallas also was pretty wild from like a weather side. So they can like literally there was a day that you can do all four seasons. Like it rained. It was snowy in the morning and then it was super hot. And then all of a sudden a tornado came through. I was like, okay, <laughs> I had to hide in this, like the law library where I was working. Like, cool. This is an interesting place. Yeah. <laughs> I guess like, so when you can, you come to UVA your sophomore year, I'm assuming. So I actually came into third year. So I went right oh, to the comm school. So I did two okay. there and came in into for you know, into the comm school transfer program, which they have a, a okay. some folks who will like do undergrad, I think at some of the uh, community colleges, and then some will come from a few other universities, which actually makes it a, a it, it's it kind of minimizes the transfer experience a little bit, or like you know, the daunting experience. Because you're going into the small class of just the comm school versus just generally university, it's like figure it out. But UVA itself is so welcoming. And I know a lot of folks who have been there from uh, you know, from my hometown and were generally well established. So it made it just like very welcoming, friendly, 
city or town that felt just like I already knew where everyone was and everyone was um, just always excited and happy to be around. So they, so I almost immediately started like working at like Trinity and places like that and okay. just jumped right into, uh, into the scene. Cool. Cool. But you did miss out on like freshman dorms, sophomore yes. year dorms. Like, so where did you go and stay right on when you got to, where did you go stay? So as a transfer, I stayed right at, uh, interesting at the Bice house, um, okay. which was close to the comm school and which is the German dorm, like one layer. So it's like, you know, where, like uh, the French, the French house is, this is the German house. Bottom floors were not just like people and yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there with another transfer student. But yeah, that's Bice house is, um, I'm trying to think of the actual like road that it's on. Um, but it's like a five minute walk from, from the comm school. And then, but I spent most of my time like uh up on on, on university Ave, like yeah, right yeah. By, uh i guess it was wordland and then i was over at um like rally court okay. where most of like other third years were so i just kind of just plopped on a couch and became like a kind of a stowaway fourth roommate to some people um because <laughs> i don't want to be that far from where all the scene was and uh then navigated that uh, right into living for my fourth year i was in wordland square um which is also like right, you know, actually, I think this is different now, right? Because there's the uh, barrier from the train tracks and where they built a fence now versus then Wilton Square was perfect. You just get all the way around the entire corner and go right back, right on the tracks. But I don't think you can do that anymore. I think it's a little more restricted. I'm pretty sure there's a fence now. There's a fence somewhere down around that area. Big fence. Yeah. All right, so you've turned into, you know, the golden boy for prop tech and, and real estate technology. Now, was this a thought process? Like this, has this always been a thought process? When you went to like SMU, what were you kind of looking to get into? And then obviously you came over to the comm school at UVA and what was kind of your focus in that space? Was it, is, is that always real estate and technology always been a thought process or maybe just real estate? One of the, um, the big projects that I completed at SMU, which was part of like where I wanted to get, challenge myself a little bit more by moving going over to, to UVA was you know, a thesis driven around um, yeah, there was a real estate component of it, but it was also like energy and uh, infrastructure investment in Nigeria, uh, specifically in Lagos. And it was something that I had written in high school, but then I carried the same um, same thesis into into college, wrote uh, you know, a big paper around the stability of their uh, their government and finally had a peaceful transition into another democratically elected government for the first time in I can't recall how many years. And there was still like a looming threat of uh, some radical religious groups, Boko Haram, which was in the north. But there was economic disparity was sort of stabilizing and there was potentially for more investment into what is growing is one of the fastest growing um, economies and populations in the world is in Nigeria and Lagos, specifically one of the fast growing cities. Lord of my paper was writing and saying that so much of the oil that was uh, drilled out of Nigeria, especially on the on the shore side, was um, all crude and then refined and sent away. Refined in another, like there was only two refineries, I believe, at the time in the country. And all oil was then shipped away to the U.S., refined there or in, uh, in Britain or in some other refinery, but it just was shipped and then sent back as uh, un- as refined oil, which meant like the resources here jacked up the prices of oil. And if so much of a focus of the infrastructure was just on that sector, that and then having to buy it back, it kind of held the population in suspension. Um, and then you have this growing and 
educated population that started moving back into Lagos um, and almost also skipped over the desktop age and went right to mobile, so mobile forward, while also there's the institutions, the lending institutions and the landlord institutions, which were not able to keep up or were kind of you know, you know putting barriers on people buying and purchasing their homes. In fact, now even to show up and rent an apartment, you have to show up with two years rent, two years rent. So we at MetaProv invested in a company called Split, which helps people uh, finance getting an apartment. We've also invested in another company. It's going to be the co-star of, uh, of Africa based out of just getting transparency and leasing and sales in Lagos is the first the first city. So that was what had um, that really got me down the path of understanding the the impact of technology and other sectors on the built world, which is the world that we live in. That's really like one of my thesis. Like I just would rather live in a better world where things are a little bit more efficient, things are a little more cost effective, and I can get things done a little faster. Like I work in, I'm working on a renovation right now in South Florida. It's taking me about a year and a half, just going through permitting process, serving process, and interviewing subs and architects. And we're finally getting floors, I think, like next week. Like a year and a half. Think about and Max, I wish you could just come down and help me. But that's another I definitely, story. Definitely could. I wish I could too, man. I wish I could. <laughs> Holy good of you guys here. Um but so getting into the prop tech in general, that, that's like where me being um my uh core interest and curiosity was driven by that uh that exposure to those projects that I was studying and researching. Then when I went to UVA, I took George Overstreet's class on real estate. And I just heard it was a really fun class. That's all I heard. And actually from like Jake Ulrich and I think Andrew Settle and a few others said, like, just make sure, and Bo Perona said, make sure you take this class. Okay, absolutely. And that immediately opened up based off of their exposure to guest lecturers and just George's passion for real estate and um, understanding different development projects and how it all works. Just exposed me to like, okay, maybe real estate is the world where I'm just fascinated by and that I want to be a part of, however that would look. And when I was, uh, when I got out of university, I graduated, I worked at, at this hedge fund that was also energy based. So it was NAC gas, long short fund. But the underlying asset to which we were, we were studying was, uh, and I was underwriting on was, uh, real estate, multifamily and single family homes and what their occupancy was and what their NAC gas usage was. And if you look at that, that's actually more of a prop tech question than it is a uh, an energy investment question. Though so those like it's like chicken egg. What is impacting the other? And what's the cause? And then the net effect is energy usage. So then I remember being in that role, seeing that the data that I was getting was either incorrect, incomplete, or outdated. That was just generally what was accepted, and still is more or less of how people trade Excel sheets and where they get self-report information on that same occupancy data. I remember being in a parking lot and with my mom and thinking about this, like, I want to work in a world where I want to work in an industry where there's real estate and tech together. This is in like 2015, I believe. Just had this idea of like, whatever that looks like. A lot of friends were leaving um, finance and banking to go into tech or move into like Silicon Valley or move to SF. And then some friends have got started and were just working in real estate. So I said, I'm still fascinated by real estate and I do want to work in tech. So what does that look like? And that led me to meet and network to meet uh, Bob White, who is considered the godfather of real estate technology. So in the 90s, he took a second mortgage on his townhouse and in New York and founded Real Capital Analytics, which became the number one source 
refining cap rates and sales and tra- trades and real estate because he could find at any one point equity trades like where the last like a public stock was traded on, but you couldn't really find normalized information around like when and what what a building was sold on. You'd have to go in like the back pages of like the journal or ask someone that was in industry to find this. So he created this database that recently sold to MSCI for about a billion dollars. So Bob did a wonderful job. And he now has a boat called Sweet Virginia. So amazing. Um, kind of that story. But Bob was my inspiration for you can, this is a thing. This does exist, real estate and tech. At that moment, um, when I was thinking about that, that's when a lot of other firms and a lot of VCs started founding themselves. So Fifth Wall, Metaprop, these are investors that have been around since 2010 to 11. And they all started to get together and realizing, okay, that we can call this an industry dubbed as prop tech. So I went from Bob's advice, sort of did a little bit of a tech stint, trying to solve some real estate problems based on his advice, then joined VTS on that same vision of, can you get real-time information on commercial leasing alone? Let's start solving there. And then that evolved into many other aspects and many other companies where I'm really... Max and Jason, just trying to make the world I'm existing in and that we're all living in just a little bit better. Yeah. So what was your degree? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I understand like you, you have this passion behind this place, but I'm trying to figure out like, you know, at UVA, like, you know, we see a lot of people that's in the arts and sciences and things of that nature. I know you're in the comm school. So in comm school, did you like, there wasn't a real estate like degrees, right? Because they're just starting to like trying to put like minors. I'm not sure, but... Yeah. It's a tr- it was a track, so it's like a okay. real estate track. So almost like it's not same thing as a minor. Though yeah. I, came, I came actually really close to having an English minor. I took so many Shakespeare classes. I like, was staring at because <laughs> I just needed I just like to read books. But I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'll, I'll just go roll the class, get the books, and then just I don't need to do the minor. Um, <laughs> but I was uh, yeah my my I uh, was a commerce uh, so just BS commerce and then okay. did marketing and real estate. So my main track was in the marketing side and mainly because I was fascinated with the psychology of the buyer. I just thought that was really interesting and wanted some way to be in sales. Um, but I found understanding how people like their buying behavior would impact other categories and industries. That was just fun to research and study and then apply that over to the real estate side. Cause now a lot of what prop tech is, it's just really a marketing, yeah. uh, marketing approach to a uh, marketers efficient approach you think like ad tech and how complex and advanced they are. We try to take any one of the learnings and we try to take over prop tech, which we're, we're just getting going on. Max, did you did you know about any real estate courses or real estate tracks or anything at UVA while you were there? No, not even not even remotely. Um, I I a photo, what's that little what's that little website that we have where we can pick your classes? I don't even think it showed up. You know what I'm saying? Like I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember where you pick your classes out. I don't think there was like a uh, uh, anything that started with an R. To be honest, it was like MR. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There was all they had all the letters. I don't know if they had any R classes. Bro. I'm gonna be honest with you. When I was picking, I I would I would have tried at least taking one. I think, but um. Now, nah, I mean, I was, I mean, I've always been in, you know, in interested in real estate since since I was a kid. You know, a lot of my friends' dad, that's what they, that's what they did, and so I knew I wanted to do something in real estate. I thought I was going to do finance. Uh, I took probability and stats, and I realized finance wasn't for me. So uh, after that, I was like, man, I guess, I guess I have to figure it out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a way out of college. It was hard to find them. There was one cool one that was I think, so the comm school one, the real estate track. Was open to anybody, but you had to be referred and sort of get in fast with George because there are people coming in from the law school. They would come from Darden. They would yeah. 
a lot from commerce, a lot from arts, uh, e-school, arts and sciences, but you had to go in really fast and he had to know someone to get referred. The tough part was like the A school had a lot of the, uh, you know, the opportunities, but those were, you know, you'd be all the way through it. Right. So it was like 5,000 level courses by the time like you're third and fourth, you're like, well, I can't take these courses. I want to, yeah. but I'm not in the A school and I'm not even close to that. There was really one or one cool one called cities in nature. And this was also a pretty inspiring course where it was like how we can integrate the natural world through design into development. And it was anything from like catios, which are like patios designed to make sure cats don't go out and kill fauna because cats are like the number one murderers of like birds in neighborhoods. <laughs> I remember that was like on one of the tests, catios, can't forget it, to like breathing cities and buildings. So like in Singapore, like, you know, some of the developments that have all of the, uh, and like the airport has intertwined trees that are literally living and breathing so that the city itself is uh, alive and feels more like a jungle than it does like a concrete jungle. No, definitely. I think, you know, it's interesting to me that like, you know, I've never had any interest in in, in anything with, related to real estate. <laughs> Literally nothing in my mind would say go to real estate uh, or, or learn about the real estate process when I was in college. Um, even though my dad, he has multiple investments in in real estate and he did construction as soon as he got done playing in NFL. He has a large portfolio of, of real estate, but it never was something I was like, you know, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to I get into that in some form of fashion. But now, you know, you see that, like Xander said earlier, like the whole world is built off of infrastructure pretty much. You know what I'm saying? So um, it, it's an interesting place to be in. And I think PropTech is a, is, a, is a place where a lot of people are finding a way to get involved with real estate that necessarily wouldn't be able to play in that space, mm-hmm. um, you know, traditionally. In the real estate place, because real estate market is a tough market to 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 really penetrate and learn the business of. But PropTech is allowing some younger people in some some different industries to get into the space. So just just in general, Xander, like if we're looking at you know real estate as a whole and it's on a spectrum of like zero to a hundred, like how much is technology affecting this 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 market right now, and and how much more do you think it has to go across asset types and across our uh, tech cycle or tech adoption cycle? Uh, we're very early. Um, so we like to look at ourselves from the project side and the project investing side to our cousin, FinTech. Um, and they're we're generally regarded as almost like 15 years, 15 to 10 years behind the adoption levels, and the investment level of, of FinTech. But if you look at where FinTech was in 2015, is from an investment and how many billions were invested there. It's exactly where PropTech was in 2020. And then you can see us going up the same trajectory route over that timeline. So we do have a lot of room to grow and we're still working on a lot of movement from your regarded, like if you think about the concept like crossing the chasm, which is all about like startups getting across and moving, but it also focuses on the adoption levels and criteria. So we have a lot of these first movers and that have gone and experimented and deployed technology and are at the, the testing limits of innovation. So you think about like P. Jim's Real Estate Group and Blackstone, Brookfield, RxR, uh, JLL, CBRE. A lot of these folks have really been those first movers on adoption. And now you have some of the follow-on firms. So some of the regional developers and some, you know, a lot of also construction firms that weren't at the starting point are now coming into this game because they're seeing the efficiencies and they see that they're 
core users were, or core employees will use these technologies. That was kind of the hardest part was, you know, I, I traveled over three cities a week for three and a half years, just convincing leasing brokers and product managers to input some information on their mobile phone and use this technology. So it was very difficult at first, but we saw almost like a Cambrian explosion of usage and companies throughout COVID because all of a sudden, we couldn't really get out to job sites. You couldn't project manage. You couldn't see your teams. And even so, some folks who would said they would never use anything, they wouldn't even use like a flip phone or move from flip phone to a smartphone, they needed to FaceTime their families. And I'm talking truly like the bricks and sticks folks, people that would just not use tech, they were using for their daily lives, which allowed a lot of the, the innovation inflection point to, to occur because we could really have the users test a lot more and adopt a lot more um, of just the, kind of the basics. So that kind of set us up for what is you know, projected for the, you know, the next decade to be this golden era of potentially for PropTech. Um, we will, though, go through a, a considerable amount of consolidation um, as companies begin to mature because you, have, you only have so much at this top level of of first movers and follow-ons that can actually buy, even if it's a fragmented buyer's market, you still have to have consolidated companies, which will lead yeah. you know, either they've gone through an IPO or a SPAC, or they're in their late stage of series D or E. If you have so many of like like-to-like and similar companies, they will either merge or they'll be acquired by some of the uh, incumbents being like an MRI or a real page or an Argus. And Alt- like, so Altus uh, group will, you know, likely purchase these, which is fantastic for more innovation and more technologies and companies to come out. Because if you think about when that happens, a post-merger or post-acquisitions, a lot of the talented teams who still were solving problems and understand the customer set being you know, real estate or resident experience or something along those lines in spectrum in construction, they will want to solve a different problem, but in the same category. So mm-hmm. from the VC side, we see that, okay, great, consolidation happens. Now we can solve a lot more problems. We do think, though, that almost every single category of the value chain of real estate, from dirt to disposition, so call it like site selection and surveying and uh, structural reporting, all of that still is billion-dollar industries of opportunities. Like mm-hmm. even down to so go to one in particular title. Anybody solves for title and that is watching this, you are a billionaire, hands down. You solve for affordable housing or the next generation of, of home building, billionaire opportunities, or multi-levels of billionaire opportunities in, in any one of those, uh, any category that you see. We still have a, a long way to go. We may be in the third inning, but it's so it's going to be a very, very long game. Yeah, 100%. Before we move on, Max, we're going to need some more respect out of you, man. We're going to need some more. We're going to need to do man. Hey, you gonna lead it back? What you gonna do? Lay down next? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, man, listen, I'm soaking it all in, man. This this hey. is all, all all stuff that you know. Even being in the real estate world is is new to me. And you know, I mean, I'm not. I want to say I'm a dinosaur. Like, doesn't you know? I have a smartphone and stuff like that. But you know, Xander, you hit the nail on the head. You know, most of the people I work with as a contractor, you know, these guys are second, third generation, and they are they are you know, flip phone, you know, notepad, Excel sheet. Is is about and that's you know the, the I would say the more up to date ones they they know to do Excel sheet. Other than that, it's they're they're real old school. So here here now all this tech that's coming into play, you know, and just in my mind, I'm just thinking, man, how how helpful this could be to the kind of new generation that's come along trying to you know knock down the door. The guys have been a lot of he- real hesitant to kind of switch that off for a while. 
Mm-hmm. And you been and, oh, hold on, Zenner, before you answer that, and you been drinking out of the red solo cup. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey man, you know, can you get a can you get some glassware or something over there? A, a coffee mug? Something? Hey, man. Can I, you know what I'm saying? Can, can I enjoy the podcast, man? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Zander's been over here talking. I didn't want to interrupt Xander, but I'm like, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> hey, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm soaking it all in, man. I'm soaking it all in. All right, good, man. Well, um, yeah, no, that's that, that's a you know, it's an exciting place where 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 the prop tech space is. Obviously, you know, I'm in, I'm in the prop tech industry. And I think it's it, it seems like anything can be can be built in that space at the moment. Xander, so essentially you're looking at all these different companies, you're consulting on different companies and things of that nature. Like you see opportunities in the space. Do you ever get tempted to go start something yourself? Go do your own stuff? All the uh, all the time. Um, so it's that's why it's fun to be on board. You're handing out billionaire, <laughs> billionaire ideas. You're handing out billion dollar ideas right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, but, yeah it's, it's too generous. I mean, that's the nature of uh, of my role. Though. It's uh, the yeah. nature of, of being on the VC side, especially where we are so early in where in our investment thesis. We do pre-seed Series A. And that's why I love to call and say, hey, these are the problems I would love to solve. I represent the customer yeah. is how I see myself. The customer being the owner, operator, developer, service providers, con- uh, construction firms, and designers. And, and I say, well, I'll, I'll just be on calls every week listening to what their biggest issues and priorities are. Like, where are they interested? What do they want to do? What do they want to solve for? Or something that like keeps them up at night. And then turn to the entrepreneurial and founder market and say, these are the things to which the people that I know and speak with all the time who you want to work with inside, outside my portfolio or my LP network saying, this is what they want to solve for. And often it's problems that I would love to solve for myself, but that's really where my niche is, is you know, fitting to see across the entire spectrum. And not only in say North America, but this is also just, you know, it's, it's uh, regionally diverse because we'll see that the same adoption trajectory that we have in states of goes first multifamily residential typically gets your first level of adoption because you're closer to your customer, your residents, you can have them test things faster. And then later is commercial because there's an interesting kind of friction between commercial tenants and commercial landlords. There always has been. Um, I've got lots of war stories to go along with that. But typically multifamily gets it, then it's been commercial. And then the follow-on to that is kind of your specialty use. And that's seeing the same. Problems being solved are being replicated in other regions. So we like to think of, okay, what's being solved for in the U.S., say, on lending or on origination or on servicing of debt? How is that going to happen in sub-Saharan Africa? How is that going to happen in Southeast Asia? How is that happening in Latin America? What are the problems that they're trying to solve for and where are they in their adoption cycle? So it is you know, tempting to focus and solve for one problem because I was on that problem before as an as an operator. So similar to you, Chase, like focusing, solving for uh you know the the turn and yeah. and being on the resident side. But now it's you know, I find my my specialties a little attuned to being across multiple different problems and solutions at once. So being problem obsessed, but almost being problem aware yeah, <laughs> across yeah. the globe. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what's next? What, what what's your, what's next with you? Like where where are you <laughs> Where are you going? So essentially, you know, if everybody's following, um, you went to UVA. What year did you graduate? We didn't get I graduated in 2014. So. 2014. And after 2014, you went straight to working for a company that was dealing with the energy, right? Yeah. And uh, where was that located? So I was in Stanford, uh, Connecticut. Um, okay, so back in Stanford, Connecticut. Then did you go right to operating? 
Um, yeah, then I then I went and uh, did the startup in New York at the same time was um, bartending, waiting, and managing at, at a, a friend's restaurant in uh, in Connecticut. So okay. I do the train in the morning and then train back at night and go work at the restaurant. So the, oh, like, okay. early days SDR stuff and then go work at the restaurant at night. Uh, <laughs> did that for a while. It's hard not to. I think what's eventually next is you know go back to the restaurant world and that's where I'll retire, just working in a restaurant somewhere. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So that's not a bad deal. Um, as long as you own the restaurant. Um, but essentially, so so essentially, uh, how long did you operate? How long did you were you in the operation space? And then you went to after that you went to Metapart, right? Yeah. So that was nearly four years of um on that side. And I worked across when did, you know, as you joined some of the uh you know, the tech startups I joined as a as an SDR. Um yeah. so like you know, you're uh, the tip of the spear, right? Work where you do cold calling landlords and they're yeah, yelling yeah. and they're telling you never call them again, but then you keep yeah. calling them. And then I switched over, made up my own role because startups are fun. You get to make up your own role and title. I was a strategic analyst um, where I worked across the, the, I worked with the marketing team, the data team, and worked with the the, uh, the strategic sales team, which was really focusing on the top 200 um, by AUM landlords in the world to help map that out and help how we would get in front of those owners and operators. Um, and then switch over to be a solution engineer, which is this midpoint between product engineering and sales. So you act as a kind of communicator with what is the sales team and the market and, and the uh, the market saying, mm-hmm. and then you translate what the product is saying. And then you do pre-implementation and pre-integration uh, discussions with the customer. Um, and that really helped carve or at least cut my teeth in the technical front. And And that came down to just understanding language, which is... Often the hardest time, the hardest part of, of the real estate tech world is that we just have a differences of two languages. We have people speaking real estate language, language. So understanding what like you know, what capex is and what cap rates are, and like trading values and like tenant improvements, and then you know leasing rates on that side, and then people that talk on the tech technology side. So who understand integrations and APIs and uh, the different roles of engineers, back end, front end, and designers. Also, the product road mapping side. So, like, how long it takes actually to build a product or a feature set. Yeah. So you have people, uh, and Chase, you'll you'll empathize with this, right? Customers say, "Well, I just want this button. How hard is it to build a button?" Yeah. Like, well, I build that button, I break everything else. So please, <laughs> relax. So get to the button. It's on the roadmap. Right, right. Everything's on the roadmap, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you've been at MetaProp now for how long? Coming on three years. All right. Cool. Dope. So, so what's what's next? I mean, obviously, I don't want to say that you're going to be. You probably love Metaprop and doing everything that you want to do, but like, what are kind of your goals in like the next in the short term? I mean, the short term, you know, we have a uh, we're raising two funds, um, and so very hyper focused on that. So early, our fourth early stage vehicle, it's 150 million dollar vehicle, to which we will continue to invest early stage. We also have a growth vehicle, which is mainly uh, a follow on on our first. Uh, you know, we've invested over 175 companies. So, you know, out of that subset of those which will be dubbed as uh, reaching that next stage, we want to be a part of that. Um, but we're being very careful and selective, especially in this type of market. And then also, I think a lot of like you know, personal and career goals has been focused on getting close with the with the operators, the ones we're already working with, um, and then a lot of helping work on this UVA project which we're all involved in, which is. Yeah, yeah. Institute is talk about that. Talk about that some more. Talk about what you've been doing with the UVA, uh, uh, just like the network of University of Virginia. It seems like it's been very strong in your journey so far, as far as like 
meeting and connecting with University of Virginia alumni, and you've obviously started a, a, group, a real estate group as well. So can you talk about your passion behind that and the reasons for starting that yeah. group and then also how the connections have kind of helped you? The genesis of that group is in the exact same moment when I was, when I was sitting in that parking lot of that the shopping center and saying, well, I want to work in real estate and tech. I also enjoy networking with UVA people, and I'm pretty sure that's the way that's going to get me there if I continue to network. And, you know, when you graduate, there are, there, when I graduated, there was some list of um, who works in certain industries, right? They'll tell mm-hmm. you, you know, from the uh, the career services, of they have a, a, a list. There was some that were tracking on the real estate side, uh, but I found that that was kind of a, there was a disconnect. There was not, there wasn't as much of a formal tracking that I could get into. And so myself, I just kept networking and networking and asking people that and searching who went to UVA and worked in real estate and just had a long spreadsheet. And I kept that spreadsheet as like, okay, this is going to be my book of business. This is who yeah. I'm going to call when I want to talk about, you know, using or buying in technology or working in real estate. And they all, lo and behold, went to UVA. So what I did is I essentially published that. I used it LinkedIn as the way to publish it. So I invited everybody that I knew that went to UVA into this real estate group. It's now got more than a few thousand. It's got a thousand active members, though I know that we're tracking more than a few thousand globally. And this continues to grow every single day. Started a little bit of spit shine. Also started because I don't like networking events per se. I find them very kind of one-dimensional. Like you go there and you go to the bar and you see the three people you already know. Like you want to see your buddies. Yeah. And you might meet someone new, but you're going to really have a drink with your three friends. Yeah. And you hear about some sort of a, a, a fundraising uh, an initiative. And then you leave. And you kind of leave with like maybe one card, unless you really want to work the floor. But like nobody really enjoys that person that just like looks like they're darting or is like oh, kind yeah. of... <laughs> like a meerkat where they do this thing and they look across like yeah, yeah. Go talk to that person next. So I wanted to create a scenario that was enjoyable and could create natural connections at the same time. And selfishly, being on the tech side, I wanted to get closer to projects, be close to the dirt yet again. So that's where I started doing these tours of uh, development sites in New York. So once a quarter, somebody this would happen naturally, someone from the group or the network would say, Hey, we have this new project. We would love for you guys to tour and we can do a happy hour component to that. Um, so we did some pretty wild um, site visits and this uh, allowed us to create oh, a did people, did people pay you to tour? No, no. Oh, okay. Sign me up for a tour. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so you you would pay like uh, eventually because we were, uh, you know, the, how we got to this, uh, like, you know, um, the support of the comm schools. I cold called the comm school and said, hey, I want to start this group. Can I have your permission? They're like, yeah, sure. They yeah. sent a representative up to meet me. And that's where I got close to like Shara Teague, who just done fantastic work there. And they, we then set up through their marketing site where you could sign up for like $15 and right. that helped for the drinks and some of the food, but it was all free tours. And we would be able to create a moment where folks could, who typically would not talk. If you were to do this at normal networking event, they wouldn't meet each other. Like yeah. there's no chance. There's like, if you were in a giant hall, like how could they possibly have met? But because you're touring and going through corridors and walking on wooden planks with your hard hat, like yeah. you're gonna meet. There's one instance where all of us were on an exterior elevator, so a construction elevator, and it got yeah. stuck. 30 of us. And a lot of people I don't mess with construction elevators. That's one yeah, thing I know. Like, <laughs> I remember everyone was like holding on to each other, like, this might not go well. And even the person who's operating, like, that's not good. Like, it might be the last day of group. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're gonna get rid of the entire network, like in a full swoop. But that was the that was like the starting point of okay, there's a real special memory here, and that was part of led to 
being a part of a greater conversation, which had started what I didn't know. It started like in 2003 or something like that. There was a dinner that was held at uh, Scott Kelly's house um, where him, Robert Byron, and a few, a few others had talked about like, what if we started an institute or something at, uh, at UVA? And that led to, so when Bob White, my founder, my, my mentor, was a you know kind of a major driving force along with Robert Byron and Scott Kelly and some of the, the Goliaths in, in the real estate industry. And this is the really key part. It's same way you had said, Chase, and Max, you mentioned earlier, it's like, you didn't know you wanted to work in real estate undergrad. Well, a lot of people didn't who are now the top CEOs and investors in real estate globally. So you look mm-hmm. like Owen Thomas, you look up Jacob Warner, Tyler Rizzi, Lisa Palmer. Like these are like giants of our world. They all went to UVA and we didn't really have that formal program. So now everyone's taking that great bastion of talent and applying it to what if we formally made a program? Think about how great we could be if we've already made greatness without too much, uh, with a little more hands off. What if we were hands on and we took all the talent of UVA and built an institute? So that's that's been my my passion. I've just been just the advocate behind it. There's certainly um, more experienced people working on it, but I'm definitely happy to be a part of it. No, that's awesome, man. I can I uh, I really respect your your grind to bring people together. It's such an important space to bring people together. You know, I want to get more like uh, some of the athletes around. You know, understanding the real estate space for sure. So that's kind of what you know, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of these, this, the meetings and the groups and things of that nature and kind of get back to the teams and say, Hey, you guys know there's this option. And these, these are, these are things that you should understand. You should know before you get out of the university. Uh, I think it's extremely important. Um, I always talk about when I was at the Washington Redskins about how I should have been investing in, you know, commercial real estate when I was bringing in, when I had a salary of, you know, half a million dollars in a year and stuff of that nature. Right. Like I should have been putting that money towards, towards rental income mm-hmm. so that I didn't necessarily have to rely on the checks of the national football league. And so when they were done with me, I was like, go ahead, be done with me. I'm going to throw up two birds and, and, and hit the back door. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't like that. It was like, don't kick me out. Don't kick me out. <laughs> it was like that. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's where my heart lies in this, in, in, in what they're doing and what, what we are doing, uh, with the UVA, uh, community with Robert and them. And glad to be a part of it. You know, I don't give too much input, but I'm on. The, I'm there, and I want to be, and I want to listen in. I want to learn, and I want to take it back to to a lot of the the football players and things of that nature, and let them understand the importance of understanding the space in this industry for generational wealth for for a lot of different opportunities. Right. Um, so before we end up getting over here, man, uh, we've talked a lot about the technology space, but are you doing anything with actual real estate investments? I say you, you talked about a flip that you've had going on, like. What is your uh, passion or what are your things that you're trying to get done in actual, you know, real estate uh, holdings? You know, it's always a fascination with projects and being close to them. That's where I get the, uh, the, the, the lucky experience of working with such great LPs who have those um, projects uh, that they, they're working in solving, working on. So we've met probably work with like AECOM and we work with uh, JLL and CB, CBRE. So we get to see and I get to go and be on site when I, whenever I'm in certain cities. Personally, though, you know, this is a family decision. Um, so during COVID, was able to get in uh, into an investment property in South Florida, in West Palm Beach, and have been living and breathing um, all the things that uh, I like to talk about that we're solving for. So yeah. like, this, you know, did a virtual tour and how I yeah, saw yeah. Uh, the house. That's so like I put money invested in it 
without actually being there initially. So no. I think about taking that risk. Like, yeah, money where my mouth is, I did it. And all of the 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 side that we talk about is like, okay, so it's there's likely is marketplaces you can build out where you can get you know, contractors and subs and you can find designers. Uh, but it was able to go through just relationships to get my architect and mm-hmm. um, you know, great relationship. It actually was one of my partner's son, who's a fantastic architect. And that's through relationship base. I and mean, still how I granted a lot of our communication and how we're seeing him deliver on projects is through technology, but still a relationship and getting that uh, that word of mouth, that was so critical. And so if you think about all the other people we were engaging with now from the dry well build out uh, to the landscaping, a lot of that is still word of mouth. Granted, there's some elements that I would love for PropTech to really help and fix on that's on the permitting side and the surveying side, which are you know areas that you would imagine that we could solve for quite simply. But when it came down to the actual talented and talent and work behind it, that still is a very person-to-person experience, especially when it comes to single family, right? Or multifamily, right? Because people are living here. People have to experience and appreciate and enjoy that space to which they're you're building out. So there has to be a level of trust there. So that will always create one pricing arbitration. So there'll always be a difference of people who can negotiate with each other of what a price and a value of a thing that we're building is. It also will create what is dubbed as like kind of the the argument that there is no apples to apples in any sort of building. Mm-hmm. It's by the beholder scenario. So there's always going to be someone's designing and building something that which they think matches what the market's looking for and what they like themselves. And then with how they're communicating that to the actual sub or the contractor or even the designer, there's going to be a difference of what that outcome is. And that's been my personal, that's my personal experience of living and breathing that project mm-hmm. uh, and then delivering that back to like my our, our companies we work with saying hey yeah this is the reality behind that so it's been a very helpful and shaping experience as often you kind of forget that when you're working on the tech side of things mm-hmm. you think okay, everyone's going to adopt it and it's going to be just like peaches um but it's not that's not reality no nah, that's 100 man yeah. uh before we jump off here man i appreciate you getting on here you know if you're if anybody's on here that's listening that's looking to get into the real estate space man this is the guy that you need to know there's a guy that connects you with people um if he can't help you he'll he'll definitely find somebody that can can definitely help you in that space i know he's done it for me personally so man we appreciate you and all the work that you've done where can how can people reach you man what's the best way to get in touch with you if they're trying to get in touch with you yeah. So the best way is uh, easily find me on LinkedIn. So Xander Geronimos. And uh, then from there, we'll just like send a quick note and then we'll get on email. Usually I'm very active on that. It's kind of the best medium for us. And then from if you're on the UVA community and you're interested in real estate, we can put you within our real estate group and network. We definitely want to grow that and advocate for it. But if you're just generally interested in tech or real estate and the combination of the two, always happy to to, to chat and I'm in multiple cities as well, um, usually I'm based and um, uh, as a Florida resident, but I also will visit D.C., New York, Boston, Chicago, Austin, L.A., and San Francisco. So usually my main hubs that I like to be in. Um, so happy to meet in person if people are interested. Sounds good. Mac, before I deliver my last question, do you have anything that you would like to say? As I've been, as I've been holding this podcast, like draw with the calves. <laughs> he, he, he touched on my, my big question was basically, you know, with real estate, you know, you could buy a rental property online, hire property management property online. But like you said, the nitty gritty of where you make your money is value add. 
the value add is you kind of have to be there on site every day. Do you ever see with PropTech, is there a trend of trying to make that so it is more accessible to anyone and not so much regional? Because for most people, being a developer is, is, is very regional based. Um, you know, you, you're not going to find a developer that lives in the East Coast that's doing a lot on the West Coast. It's just it's just pretty much impossible. You know, is PropTech, do you see that going in that direction or do you, do you really never see that happening? So I have seen some interesting companies which are using predictive analytics to identify what would be the next investment opportunity in your city. Because there's so many factors that go into that of like, when do I find the next Austin? Like how will I know based off of like talent, population, the investment that could possibly happen there or where there is going to be like a population trend moving somewhere? Where do I find those places? So there's some that are using like uh, just based off of certain data points. And this has been going on for a while, but there's a few companies that are focused on that. And that allows developers who otherwise wouldn't work in that region have a much more comfortability of investing in greenfielding into that place or partnering up and finding that boots on the ground that already knows that market yeah. um, or just going in themselves because they already have the conviction based off of their the data that's telling them, hey, this is some market that I should be in. That's what PropTech can help us. And it just helps one with your investment thesis and conviction and then deploying that capital with the, the safety net that this will work because now I have a better understanding of that market because real estate, as you know, is uh, idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. It's very nuanced. It's hyper-local. There's a yeah. lot of things, like as we talked about Charles' market, a lot of things about people that would not know <laughs> and how to build and how to get into it. Yeah. It's, really, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy, but there are uh, data companies that are helping solve that problem, which is really great from a capital flow perspective because then you can have much more greater access as a, as a local developer to to the capital markets you otherwise wouldn't see. And because they'll start to flood to you versus you going out and saying, okay, I'll find an institution. And then I have to pitch them and convince them like, this is that next market. Yeah. They will already be looking and finding and searching you. So it's going to be great that that matching point. Appreciate that participation points, Max. So essentially, before we jump, or before we jump, now I said it like three times, I could go in this conversation never and ever for, a, <laughs> yeah. for a long time. Um, and I don't even know if you can answer this, but where are you most bullish at right now? If you had to pick like one type of space in the prop tech landscape, where would you be the most bullish at as far as the technology? Well, that's a, that's a question of my job, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I think it's tough to say, cause I go off of where you should be investing now and where you should have been investing before. Um, and that's a lot of following where the money is going on the real estate side. So you see during like the last like two, three years, you saw the great institutionalization of single family. So SFR and SFH, everybody and someone else was raised in a single family fund and investing in that or some sort of spinoff. Um, and now you're seeing a lot of, um, so kind of a, an impact on that market in certain markets where people are saying, okay, are people even going to, like as ra- rising rates, right? With rising rates, that's impacting the, the single family purchase. Though it is, a great area for continued investment, uh, especially as more folks want to buy their own home. But then you see the great opportunity is just reducing cost and delivery of new home builds or even on, even on renovation of builds. So there are exciting projects and companies that are coming out and doing that. So like think of like 3D printed homes or Connect Homes, which uh, delivers the panelized homes on uh, inside a... Uh, a flatbed. And so that can just reduce your cost and reduce your time to actually get in there. And then there's financing platforms. So like Ola Lucas and um, other companies, which allow you to 
get better rates or quicker or do rent to own projects. So that's still a great opportunity, though, if you were investing in that or haven't started already, you're kind of late to the game. doesn't mean you're not going to make a winner, but you're kind of late already in that single category, being in single family. Other opportunities, I say the, the one next cycle, which is really exciting, is where you have uh, the rebirth of retail yet again. It goes through many cycles and has been since institutionalized in the late 50s. Um, so retail which a lot of folks will write off very quickly, but depending on the retail in and of itself, if you take your class A urban center in line or shopping uh, shopping mall uh, or open air, what you have is the greatest access to user data and consumer information than a lot of the e-commerce sites. Because a lot of the restrictions that are now happening you know, with GDPR and uh, with cookie tracking online that's impacting where people can sell and try and understand the psycho and demographics behind consumers. However, within a shopping center, if you can track based off of mobile data and point of sale information, what people are doing, who they are, where they're going, where they're coming from, you can make that is an absolute goldmine. And now the power is starting to switch over into the hands of the landlords of those, those uh, centers, which then can inform in almost like a symphony of real estate and data and technology they can inform the multifamily owner. These are the people that are shopping here. This is like who is going to shop at Bonobos. Don't you want to build, based off of the Bonobos customer or something along those lines, don't you want to build a multifamily or single-family community that matches what this consumer typically does? And then they can inform the last mile industrial owner of, hey, this is who is buying. We need to have an infill uh, logistics center that can supply here and also can deliver directly to those consumers at the multifamily. And once you get this hyper concentration of, uh, of of a consumer base, which you have a very good understanding of, better than you would if it was just all online driven, because a lot of people can create different personas. It's not as real, right? You really do know this is a human walking to the store. I know what they're doing. I know where they live. Now I can, might be able to know where they work because I can build office based off of that. I can build co-working opportunities. So it's this gold mine of data that's happening um, and it's been going on for many years, but that's only going to continue to, to, to increase. And if you only had better collaboration across those different parties I'm describing, then you can really do some exciting work um, and really be able to, to truly invest uh, both in tandem on the real estate and the tech side. Um, so that's those are two categories. I guess the last one I'd throw out of there is robotics. Robotics is, doing, is starting to finally get that uptick in adoption and usage, especially on the construction front, safety aspect, and then um, amenities delivery services using robotics. So those are three areas I'm, I'm most excited about. So good stuff. That's great stuff. Um, do you have do you have any real estate in the metaverse? <laughs> I do not have any in the metaverse. <laughs> uh, right. Well, I'm aware it exists. I'm sure it's around me, but... Um, you sure it's around you. You can't touch it, huh? I'm, 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 bricks, I'm bricks and sticks only. That's, uh, that's my, my, where I like to be. That's where I like to live. <laughs> Yeah, I understand. So, uh, man, we could go all day with this, man. Xander, we appreciate you jumping on here, man. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, we appreciate you. I don't know if you have any last thoughts, but other than that, we're good. Just, uh, I think that was so much fun. Um, actually, Chase, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, we've been hoping to do this for a while, but hopefully we get together in person soon. Uh, but otherwise, this is, uh, this is wonderful. All right. Thanks, Xander. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next week. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>